Well, as I said, most people have heard of the grief curve. Um, And so I kind of do help, you know, I do spend some time just sort of working on that to, to, to the point of what that person's understanding is already. And often I, I, I offer a, a slightly different perspective because, as I said, there has been some research around, around grief and bereavement. So there are a number of different sort of models and, and, and ways that you can look at this. Um, Hello and welcome to Walk the Talk, our version of a podcast where you walk, if you want to, while we do the talking. So if you're up for it, plug in your earphones and listen while you take us on a walk. Use this time to move your body and nourish your mind. I'm Sarah Mayo, one of the co-founders and trainers at Point3 Wellbeing, and I will be hosting this episode of our Walk the Talk, the next in our series aimed at HR professionals, business leaders, and anyone interested in the mental health and well-being of people in the workplace. So on to today's conversation. And I'm thrilled to be joined today by Gemma Boulevant. Gemma is a specialist in grief coaching and training, helping individuals to positively address and recover from all forms of traumatic change and loss, including bereavement, redundancy and divorce. And prior to that, she was a senior HR business leader. Welcome, Gemma. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So the topic of grief and how to manage grief in the workplace is a subject that we are being asked more and more to support our clients with. So we felt it an important topic to shine a spotlight on in our own podcast. So before we get into today's conversation, it is important to acknowledge upfront that this is a sensitive subject that we're going to be discussing discussing today. So listeners, please do take care of yourself throughout and after. So let's get started. Gemma, please can you give an overview of your professional and personal experience as it relates to grief and share why you feel this is such an important subject for us to be uh, discussing in the workplace today? Yes, absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, my kind of uh, career history was in HR and I was a senior HR leader um, before going um, on to the independent uh, journey of my career. And to put it simply, whilst I was in quite a senior HR role, uh, my mum died very suddenly. And that whole bereavement experience has shaped quite a quite a large aspect of what I now do. At that time, I was basically figuring out how I needed to kind of look after myself and, and work through um, grief recovery in relation to, to what happened. And my manager at the time actually offered me coaching. And I thought that was quite an interesting um, avenue um, to explore. I naturally kind of went to coaching and I can't really explain why. I just kind of was instinctively drawn to that. And at the same time, I had also kind of decided I would get get some formal coaching training myself. 
And so almost alongside each other, I can't remember the exact timings now, but the, the sort of the world of coaching and the world of bereavement sort of um, coexisted. Mm-hmm. And I found the, the, the approach in coaching to really help me I found it really helpful to for my own experience and I chose then to specialize in grief bereavement um, and and loss and that whole impact of loss um, on us emotionally um, as part of my kind of coaching expertise and I do a whole range of other things um, but in relation to grief and bereavement I do Um, spend quite a bit of my coaching time now helping people with all types of change also the impact of all types of changes as you've mentioned Um, so that's kind of then led me to where I am now which is you know at times really helping people to either navigate their own personal experience um, or helping HR leaders to really think about what they can do um, to better support grief and bereavement in the workplace and there's sort of two angles of what I do now. Well thank you and thank you for sharing a little bit about your own personal journey as well. So I guess my first question um, to you Gemma um, as a starting point well we, you've mentioned change there um, how do you actually define grief? Well, grief is normal and natural, first up. It's incredibly normal and natural. We all, unfortunately, are going to experience this or already have in some way. And in a very kind of simplistic term, grief is that normal and natural response that we would we, we, we might experience to any um, unforeseen or unwanted change in our lives. Um, And I think this is a really interesting concept to sort of for us to understand, because we we often try to sort of, you know, compartmentalize grief and bereavement away from other forms of change. And actually, they they are very, very similar. Um, the, The reactions that we might experience to any change are effectively grief responses Mm. Um, and there's a sort of obviously a bit of an intensity scale to how they they might impact us but they are very very similar and often that can really help people to understand the experience and navigate the experience Um, the other thing that I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on in our conversation but I want to sort of call out here and now is how unique anybody's reaction might be um, and you know including our own Um, because whilst we try to constantly find um, you know patterns to constantly try to sort of understand kind of you know um, general experiences and understand things in that way it's actually more helpful for us to acknowledge and then understand that our experience is very different to the next person's our experience now could well be very different to a previous experience. Um, so in the in the moment, our responses are incredibly unique and informed by a whole range of things that I'm sure we'll talk about. Okay, yeah, I think that's a very important point to really highlight um, early on how, how very personal and unique the experience um, is person to person. So can you share more on the different types of grief? Again, we've 
mentioned a few already. Um, and, and the process that we go through when we are grieving, um, because I know that I used to think it was a linear process, but I now don't. Um, can, can you elaborate on that a little mm. bit? Mm. Well, you know, as, as you mentioned, and, I, and I've sort of, you know, also said, it, it is not necessarily about one particular type of loss. Grief can, can, can and does occur a, a, across a range of, of, of different types of change and loss. Um, you've mentioned a few there that are, that are quite, uh, quite, quite common in terms of, you know, both bereavements, but also um, redundancy um there's kind of you know uh, divorce or sort of significant relationship changes um but there's actually 40 plus significant life events the homes raw scale if, if you wanted to ever google that um is effectively a list of these kind of big significant life-changing events that 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 might actually be connected to stress um and death divorce moving house is the sort of the apocryphal um, one that we're often familiar with and but but it's it, it's apocryphal for a reason you know we, we we talk about these things these are big upheavals in our in our lives and they evoke a grief response the um the, the question about whether it's linear is a really interesting one because um there are quite a lot of uh, there's quite a lot of research um on grief but not enough let's uh, you know i'll put it out there in my in my opinion there isn't enough on it yet um but one that's really um stuck in people's sort of minds is the grief curve now, the grief curve, if you've heard of that, it's sometimes talked about as the change curve because it's been adapted in relation to organisational change. The grief curve comes from work done by um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who it was in the 60s and was actually working with terminally, terminally ill patients and observing the emotions and the experiences that were sort of you know showing up in the in that setting so immediately it's not really to do with the sort of the the, the grief as we would we would sort of consider you know it was to do with actually kind of people in that in that setting which is still grief because it's as I've mentioned it's a significant or traumatic change um but it's interesting to me how it has kind of morphed into this stages of grief kind of idea where on the one hand, we start on the left hand side of the curve and it's, it's represented in a curve, which immediately suggests it might be linear, that we're going to potentially feel um, shock, perhaps denial, anger. Um, and then as we move through the curve, we might start to kind of move towards, you know, uh, uh, some sort of acceptance kind of idea on, on the other side of the curve. Um, what actually happens isn't a linear experience at all. And I would say the vast majority of us would, would, would attest to this. We don't move through this in a linear way. And so what I, I have mixed feelings about the grief curve because I, I, I talk about it quite a lot because it is so well known. Yeah. 
And I talk about it because it does help us to really flesh out some of those kind of um, emotions and really start to sort of really um, uh, focus on some really diverse, conflicting emotions. You know, you might have guilt, you might have anger, you might actually have kind of relief you might have there's so many emotions that might might show up so if nothing else it helps us to just understand those a bit better um but because it's a linear diagram it gives and and people have adopted it into stages of grief um it gives us this impression that if that's not our experience we're Mm. doing it wrong (laughs) <laughs> and that's just so unhelpful because actually it isn't um, a linear experience. Yes. And in fact, Kubler-Ross herself um, was quoted in sort of, you know, um, follow up uh, kind of, you know, work as, as sort of saying, you know, in, in hindsight, she almost regretted representing it as a curve because she was quite clear that it wasn't a linear experience. And, and my interpretation of that was, well, it's, it was kind of like just a, an aggregate of everybody's experiences plotted on a on a graph that if you looked at the the scatter points they would be all over the place for people and she sort of found the curve in there as a sort of a a, you know a a simple representation of a typical um journey but the typical journey actually zigzags in, in in a very chaotic way and i know we're going to come to talk a little bit more about um, sort of tools and techniques um, and ways to, to look at how how we manage um, our own grieving experience. But you've mentioned uh, stress a couple of times there, and I'm keen early on to to mention the subject of, of mental health. Of course, that's something that we are mm. very focused on at point three, but how it relates to, to grief. Um, how they overlap in our mental health first aid training um, we refer to to mental health as a spectrum where we can move about it at any point in time up and down left and right Um, the left and right is the sort of more clinical scale from diagnosis through to no diagnosis but the the vertical scale is something we have more of an influence on in terms of, of how we move perhaps back up, depending mm. on what sort of support we, we get for ourselves. Um, but, you know, what can push us down to poor mental health, um, you know, is things that go on in our life. So of course, here we are talking about grief, change, bereavement. Um, so it's quite clear that grief will impact our mental health and how we think, feel and behave. And certainly then, um, you know, how that will impact our work lives as well as mm. of course, our home lives and our relationships. So can you provide any extra sort of thoughts or thinking on how grief and, and mental health relate? Um, mm. uh, perhaps when it comes to, you know, either of the, the, the scales, maybe the clinical one mm. or the vertical one. Sure. I think it is critical to connect the experience of grief and bereavement and our own awareness um, and where we might be on that mental health um, scale Um, and almost sort of dispel any kind of idea that the, the grief and bereavement is somewhat sort of 
separate to all mm. of that because actually it we are human beings mm. everything goes into the same bucket and to, to reference a different tool in the mental health world is one that I use very very regularly with 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 grief coaching which is the stress container mm. um and 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 that really for me powerfully represents that the the taps that are going into that stress container are all the stressors in the world that 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 sort of water um that water filling up um and grief you know a, a grief event to sort of you know use a a, a fairly generic term but you know anything that might be uh, attributed to that whether that's a death um whether that's you know bere- you know so bereavement whether that's uh, redundancy whether it's um you know, a a relationship breakup or any of the other, those those significant life events that I mentioned before, they're all this water going in to the container. And what grief clients often say to me is that they're they're quite confused by how they're feeling about something that's happened that that is perhaps um, a bereavement. So, you know, you might think, well, that's understandable. But without necessarily acknowledging that that death or bereavement has gone into an already very full bucket. And actually that can really be the, the, the sort of the tip, the, the tipping over when that is, that, that that has accumulated to such a degree. So without going into too much on that, because you know, you've got loads of great stuff on that already. It's the starting point of just saying, look, let's just take a step back and think about how that grief um, experience that we're talking about now relates to everything else that's been going on that you might think is in that container for you. And that's also um, in relation to the continuum that you've mentioned, that spectrum, because, you know, if, for example, you already have some pre-existing mental health conditions or you have a history of um, mental health you know and 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 diagnoses of mental health conditions in the past even if it's not current Mm. that could be uh, effectively a a kind of a a trigger you know the the grief could be a trigger in relation to that Um, if you don't it could be a trigger that that actually happens for the first time and takes you completely by surprise and sort of sends you kind of further down that that continuum than perhaps you feel you've experienced in the past and so I think that this whole idea that it all kind of goes into the same um, bucket Mm. is a really good starting point for then understanding where you are in that in that continuum where you are right now if you are the challenge is really understanding kind of you know truly where you are in the in relation to kind of you know what you might expect to experience mm-hmm. so you know deep pain um you know lots of very kind of you know i guess uncomfortable painful a kind of a whole mishmash of of of, of really difficult emotions isn't necessarily doesn't necessarily mean you are constantly sitting um sort of in in a in in that part of the of the continuum but if you're stuck there then that's perhaps a sign that you know you need to sort of you know also think about that 
Um, but unfortunately, it's not an exact science. That's that's where you need to start kind of getting a mixture of, of other support. Um, so, yes, I think just to sort of recap on that, I think we've got the mental health continuum, the spectrum on the one hand, but we've also got kind of one of the ways in which we can understand that ourselves being that stress container that sort of just helps us recognize that that this has gone in on top of a whole range of perhaps other things so if we're if our capacity um, in that container is somewhat is is limited for all you know for all sorts of reasons that's going to be a real indicator that we need to kind of really focus on 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 not just the 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 the, the grief itself but what else is going on in that container that might give us a better capacity to, you know, to, to work through the, the bereavement. Sean here from Point3 Wellbeing. Just quickly jumping in to say a big thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to find out a bit more about Point3 Wellbeing and how we support people in the workplace to stress less and smile more, then head to point3wellbeing.com or drop us an email to b underscore well at point3wellbeing.com. That's all from me. Back to the conversation. And to complete that stress response cycle. Yes. To release stress from from the the container. Yes. I think that's really, really helpful um, way to to think about it. Um, So I do want to sort of move now to talk about ways that we can support ourselves. And obviously, again, recognizing that everyone is different and therefore is going to experience grief differently um but if we think about fundamentally what's going on and can view it through that stress container i think that's quite helpful um so uh, what tools i mean we can talk a little bit more about the stress container perhaps but what other tools and techniques do you use to to help um coach people through their grief process Well, as I said, most people have heard of the grief curve. Um, And so I kind of do help, you know, I do spend some time just sort of working on that to to the point of what that person's understanding is already. And often I I, I offer a a slightly different perspective, because as I said, there has been some research around around grief and bereavement. So there are a number of different sort of models and and, and ways that you can look at this. the one I find the most helpful is called the dual process model. And this is this idea that effectively we're in two modes, as the name suggests, dual process. We're sort of in, broadly speaking, two modes. So I already like its simplicity. Um, the, the, the first mode, which is on the left-hand side of the model, is, is, the, is the grief experience itself. It's, it's the painful side of the of, of the equation if you like it's it's the it's those challenging um painful kind of experiences it's the it's the sort of the where you would imagine you are truly grieving you know that that you know when you when you kind of use those sorts of terms um so that's the left hand side the right hand side is called the restorative side now the restorative side is anything and everything from kind of getting on with life because of course we kind of 
we 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 are doing that grief takes a long time for us to kind of you know work through and recover from um typically um and and life doesn't stop whilst we're doing that but it's also restorative in the sense that we can't spend all of our time on the left hand side it's not healthy we don't have that capacity. Our stress container is just going to overflow if we're not, you know, releasing that water, um, you know, um, regularly. So a res the restorative side of the model is there to sort of help us to recognise that life, uh, you know, we still attend to things to do with life. We still have we still have jobs to hold down. We still have families. We still have other things going on in our lives. Um, but also, it is okay to step away from the the painful grief at at times that that we that that we need um and that zigzag is is the representation on this model that i think really perfectly um describes the experience at the start you know when it's quite close to the you know the the, the bereavement um kind of you know coming into our lives um, we're probably a little bit hurled left and right on this this model it, it's that kind of those waves of grief that we often sort of hear or we may have experienced ourselves that kind of almost involuntary um, hurled from one side to the other you know it sort of triggers happen you hear some music somebody just you know or just something just happens you know memories come flooding back and we feel very overwhelmed by those emotions those painful um those painful kind of emotions but as we become a little more kind of you know uh, i guess we're sort of working through when we've spent enough time in both sides we can start to more mindfully move ourselves in those zigzags we can decide in our own way that we are going to spend some time on the painful side i'm going to whether that's working with a coach working through some kind of you know activity to work on the grief or whether it's just your own sort of decision you know i'm going to spend a couple of hours in the place that i used to go to with my loved one or i'm going to sort of just do something that actually means i'm in that memory quite quite specifically whatever it might be and there's a whole host of different sort of examples the important point is that you are still zigzagging mm. um you are still kind of doing but but the idea is that you're doing it more mindfully yeah so it's that awareness and understanding where you are on which side yes and sort of taking yes. almost a little bit of control and going it's okay i'm here and i'm going to you know be mindfully here yes. until I'm on the other side or I yes. might need to help move myself to the other side at some point yes and and the and the other thing that I think is really helpful about this model is this is this permission that the restorative side gives you yes. to step away it's okay to step away actually we need to step away just to give our bodies a time to relax um, and so on it does it's not disrespectful it doesn't mean we're not grieving it doesn't mean any of those things um, my mum died um, a couple of weeks before Christmas and clearly that you know that whole first I'd say actually the first sort of year was pretty intense but clearly that for the first few months was 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 very intense um, and New Year's Eve I can remember you know, sort of almost being scooped up by some friends for New Year's Eve and doing something that was not too confronting, 
but spending New Year's Eve with them and having a few drinks and, you know, not pretending it hadn't happened, but it was just an example of that being in that restorative zone at that time, even though clearly I still had an awful lot of time (laughs) to spend on the other side um, during that time. I suppose I just want to ask a question there because if we're not aware of of this dual process um, model, um, we might, you know, find ourselves in the restorative uh, place because that's natural for us to zigzag there. But without the awareness, we might add a whole load of guilt to the experience and go, oh, this isn't right. I shouldn't be enjoying myself here. So to know that this is an important part of the process and that's you know I think hopefully is really helpful for people. Yes and and that's one of the reasons I love this model Mm. because what we tend to do during grief is pile a whole load of other unhelpful emotions that we just don't need um, or that just just don't don't help us Um, and guilt is a very very common one uh and and can can be a can be very derailing or just add it's just adding more water to our bucket um so it's just more for us to deal with and we don't really need it so if we can sort of turn that tap off before it's even there by saying look we need to be restorative we know that from all of our other mental health awareness that actually it's a very important part of us kind of managing Mm. our well-being, being kind of really clear about kind of what we need um, and how we can help ourselves, then, you know, my decision, and it possibly wasn't particularly my decision because I was sort of in a bit of autopilot at the time, but that New Year's that I I referred to was, was, I imagine, a decision, but was, was, I could have done a whole range of other things Mm. with that New Year's Eve. but that was the that was the one that happened I did choose that because I could have I'm an adult I could have said no um but it was a way in which I could at least just spend that time in a in a mindful way now at the time I was not aware of the dual process model um but I didn't particularly feel guilty at the time because I kind of I suppose was probably starting to already tune into some of the these ideas mm. but so many people might well have done yeah um and you know that that there's just a sort of there's a real kind of um uh there's a real release I think or at least a sort of a sense of ease that we maybe wouldn't have had if we know that actually that's actually quite a quite a natural part of of who we are and what, and how we how we process things so you you talk people through the dual process model you mm. give them tools to to so they, they can identify where they are um and to understand that it's a natural process and you are going to zigzag back and forth um and i suppose if importantly if you find yourself kind of stuck on that left hand side the really grieving side to maybe be able to identify that and to have those good coping strategies in place to help move you back into the restorative side Mm, 
Yes. And awareness really is key. Um, because I think with most things to do with self-development, you know, you, you you need to start with awareness before you can build any understanding um, around what you've become aware of. So that kind of but 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 often they, they do coexist. So that kind of, you know, I encourage people to really think about, you know, the, 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 the models that I've shared um, and sort of how that relates to them. What do they what do they connect with um, and invariably in my experience people have connected with the dual process model um without without too much question um that it's actually given them that helpful kind of you know uh, understanding of their experience so that they can start to move towards that more mindful zigzag and away from the <clears throat> involuntary zigzag that i mentioned the other thing that I do, which is related to awareness, is to really open up the conversation around all the different ways that grief shows up in our lives. And this relates to stress as well. Um, but it, it, it draws on actually quite a lot of work that I did because I did a psychology master's as well. And in that psychology master's, um, there's a real kind of um, there's a really interesting area that that talks about the multi dimensions of flourishing. Now, if you apply the multi-dimension of flourishing to the multi-dimension of grief, it's one of the same, which is that we basically have a sort of a, a physical awareness um, in terms of, you know, being the best version of ourselves. We have an, a, an emotional awareness, we have a cognitive awareness, and we have a social awareness. And so when you when you put the lens of grief onto that, which is which is something that um, that I've, I've, I've developed a tool, a multi dimensions of grief tool, which is ba based on on those principles is let's just understand what's going on for you physically. How are you sleeping? How you, you know, what's your appetite like? How you know, how are you feeling? Are you kind of, you know, is there other physical um, symptoms and there will be because most people you know have you know there's a physical manifestation of grief one of mine interestingly was a real knot in the stomach it almost felt like a hairball um and no I, no client has sort of described anything kind of like that to me and I don't like to prompt you know my own experience on other people but over the time I've not actually come across people who have experienced the very specific um, experience that I had which was this this hairball that I felt like I just needed to release out of my body you know I needed to sort of get rid of it but that was one of the physical kind of manifestations for me that was really clear as well as some of the the other ones around sleep and appetite and so on but physical um, it's it's not uncommon to get really clumsy. It's not uncommon to kind of pick up kind of, you know, bugs and things just like, you know, you, you might expect when you're physically run down. The second is um, emotional. And we've talked quite a lot about that already. But that's where I start to kind of use some of the other things that we've we've talked about, like some of the emotions on the grief curve, like kind of just really tuning into how you're feeling, um, what's going on. Um, let's push through some of the assumptions. Let's not try to imagine how we should be feeling. Let's just really tune into how we are actually feeling. And any and every emotion is valid um, in, because it might be that some of those emotions are coming from the right hand side and some are coming from the left hand side of that of that particular grief model, uh, that, that the dual process model that I mentioned. But what are your emotions? 
what are you thinking you know what's going on cognitively what are some of the sort of messages that you're sort of telling yourself they might be kind of triggered by kind of your learnings um on you know what's what you've been told to expect when you're grieving and you know what you're starting to sort of really absorb those a little more or, you know have you got some kind of inner critic kind of types of voices going on but what are your thoughts and then the social is kind of what's going on around you you know the the, the classic kind of radiators and drains in terms of friends um, you know what are your kind of colleagues kind of you know ha, ha, who's who's helping you um, who's hindering you um, what does that social network look like um, and what do you need from it so a little bit like the, the New Year's Eve example that I gave that actually was a really helpful social um, social network and that would have been an example I would have given if I'd been sort of work, working through this this audit, this sort of, you know, multidimensional audit to kind of really help to identify, yes, I'm actually now really quite aware that that was a very helpful thing for me to do. I've only got that awareness from reflecting on it myself, yeah. but you know, that that's the sort of thing. Once you understood that, you've effectively painted a bit of a picture of your unique grief experience that we mentioned right at the start which is that everybody is different everybody's experience is different there is no blueprint for any particular type of grief of any particular type of response to a, a, a traumatic change or an unwanted change um, and and therefore once you've got that you can then start to really think about how you want to um address some of those things what's going on for you what 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 do you want to change that's in there whether it's physical you know things that you can do um, to improve your sleep whether it is you know you know things to do to sort of start to really think about what triggers certain emotions and so on but but getting that kind of that awareness is and, and then understanding what you're looking at is then the sort of the precursor to sort of step three, if you like, which is starting to make a plan of, of action to address those little components, um, you know, gradually or, or significantly, depending on what you need. One by one. Yeah. yeah I think that is super helpful and, and very kind of easy to, to kind of visualise. Picking up on one of the elements there that you talked about, the social side of things, mm. I'm keen to now move on to, to discuss how we might support each other mm. um, in, in the workplace. Um, and, you know, I, I, this is a, an important area, I think, because, um, you know, perhaps you are a manager or a colleague who has, little sort of personal experience of, of their own grief to, to draw upon and of course yes I know it's all different but the underlying emotion is the same um, um, but you, you want to support as best as possible um, what advice do you have for, for, for people what to say what not to say mm. um, when you're supporting someone at mm. who is grieving I know it's a big that's a big that's a, that's a big question um but there are some there are some things um and I think almost just to sort of you know reflect on that that 
the fact that it's such a big question often means people clam up, do nothing, better to say nothing than say the wrong thing and all of those sorts of things. So I, I suppose as a first point, I would say is um, try not to worry too much about saying the wrong thing because grief can be a very isolating experience and anyone who's experienced it might connect with that um, because people do respond in different ways, but generally speaking, don't know what to say. And when you don't know what to say, often you say nothing. And then that means that you've got even greater distance and you're not really being that supportive because you're basically avoiding the topic. You're disconnecting. And actually what we need is connection because it is one of the, you know, that social quadrant is one of the, of the dimensions of flourishing. So we need that social. We just need it in the right way. The other thing I would say as a sort of a, a catch all, and then I'll sort of share one or two kind of really key sort of small tips, but a catch all is it's not your job to make that person feel better. We naturally want to, we naturally want to comfort. We naturally want to do what we can to take the pain away um, and, and be of comfort in some way. But generally speaking, that is the best of intentions end up with something that isn't particularly helpful. And actually, if we accept that our job isn't to make that person feel better, our, our job is to be with that person. Our job is to be there for that person. And if that person in that moment needs to be on the left hand side of that dual process model, needs to have a good old cry needs to shout and scream, chuck things around the room or whatever it might be, that's actually where they need to be. And that's okay. And then, you know, obviously that's then quite difficult if you, if you don't quite know how to, how to handle that. But um, in the work context, what that means is that we're not trying to fix anything for that person, but we're trying to be there for that person. So instead of trying to relate your own experience, so one of the things that comes out often is, um, oh, I know how you're feeling, my ex so-and-so kind of, you know, um, died last year, or I've experienced this, and you start to sort of almost project your own experience. Instead of doing that, work from the basis that you still really don't know what's going on for that person. You still don't really know what's in their bucket and their, their set of experiences. And in the spirit of walking alongside that person, a better thing to say might be, I really can't even start to, you know, I can't begin to understand what you're going through, um, but I am here. I'm very, at any point, if you want to go for a cup of coffee and just talk or just not talk and go for a walk in the park, um, I'm very happy to be that person. Um, that is a better thing to say, in my opinion, than I know how you're feeling. Yes. Um, so it, it comes from those two principles of you're not there to fix that person. You're not going to take that pain away. That pain is there. No. Um, that's a reality. You're not there to fix them. And you're also not there to try to make them feel any better. To be any, with them. Just be, be with them. them. Be with them and that's the essence isn't it of, of of empathy and compassion is 
not sort of pitying and, and that sort of that sympathy, but actually showing the empathy and the compassion that you you can you can be there for that person um, in whatever capacity they need and give them the agency to, de to decide what it is that they need. So I think that's a really important one to sort of to start with. Um, the, the other is to, I guess, just notice, you know, we've talked a lot about awareness, but actually just take a moment to sort of notice how they are and what they're, you know, what they might need and, and sort of check in with them in that way. So if you understand that they're on a zigzag, then it might be that we can spot where they are on that zigzag. So if they're in that sort of restorative mode, then they might be up for, you know, a cup of coffee. If they're sort of not in that restorative mode, it might be an open offer for a cup of coffee, but it's fine if you don't feel like it, because maybe they want to be kind of in that on that left hand side or need to be at that particular moment. So noticing um, what they might uh, what they might need is, is also really, really key. Um, and the third thing I would say is if, if, if it's possible to, is to try to check in with what they do want. Um, and this is all around, you know, you know, if somebody has died or someone has experienced something quite traumatic, do, do they want to talk about that person? Or does that not feel comfortable for them? Let them choose. Um, because most grievers want to talk about the person that's died they do even if it's painful they do still they don't want they, don't, they, they want to sort of name the name or they want to talk you know in that way so I think it's really important to check in if you can in a you know in a sensitive way on 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 whether they would like to talk about that person from time to time um you tell me and and I'll and I'll I'll take your lead on on that that can be a very empowering thing for a person who's grieving to sort of really sort of say, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I would like to talk about them. Is that okay with you? Well, I mean, lots of sort of super, but sort of simple things there and, and helpful, um, really helpful, Gemma. So kind of ask what they might need, notice, be, be kind of observant, be looking out to, to see where they might be on that dual process model, um, be empathetic, be create that sort of safe space, just be being with them um, and, and don't be afraid to, to talk about it. Mm. Um, yeah, I think some, some really kind of lovely things there. And I suppose also there might be some practical things that you, we could do to support that person uh, as well um, yeah yeah and and that and 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 by all means don't resist from offering don't take what I've said as sort of you know don't don't try and sort of you know do things for that person but sort of do it more on a sort of um making making offers for them to accept or not rather than sort of unilaterally deciding what they need and doing it sort of regardless um and you know sometimes the really practical stuff can be just so helpful because it is exhausting so that person is going to be exhausted so there's going to be some things 
you know, whether it's as a friend kind of offering to do some shopping or take the kids for a couple of hours or whatever it might be, that's sort of a very practical kind of way of giving that person a bit of space through to, you know, kind of giving, giving, giving some other kind of support if it's, if it's in the workplace around, you know, do you want me to handle kind of sorting out all that kind of, you know, the meeting agenda and the rooms and everything? Do you want, you know, some really practical stuff that can just sort of take some of that kind of energy load um, on for that person, but without it being, I'll do that, don't you worry about it, and not giving them yeah, the, option. the option. Because they might actually welcome something yeah. like that, the distraction, but of exactly. course everyone is different. And I think that point is is important that they have to have that agency they have to be involved in that decision making process yes yeah absolutely okay so as we sort of draw the conversation to um, a close any final sort of advice for perhaps HR managers or people managers out there listening in terms of how they might support the mental health and well-being of their people when they are grieving Yes, I mean, one of the things that I um, regularly talk about is for us to just remember that it takes a while, as we know. We know that, we know this stuff, but it can sometimes get a little bit lost in the noise of kind of, you know, everything else that we've got to deal with at, at work. And so it either means that we focus on, do we have a bereavement leave policy? And that's, you know, the sort of the handful of days that you might get in the very, very kind of early stages um, and then we sort of forget what else we need to do. And we sort of almost end up winging it as we go through it. You know, do we do we kind of help that person with their, you know, re- return to work and, f- and so on? So there's effectively there's three stages in my mind to, to really think about this and make sure you've got the system in place or the framework in place. The first is the crisis stage. That's the bereavement policy. That's the do do they do they need to what are, what are going to be their financial worries how are they actually literally going to cope in those first few days is there some crisis support in place um, if needed then there's a second stage which is transition which is okay it's happened I now need to come back to work but I am still grieving what does that look like and whether that's transition support that's often something I help with um, in terms of just helping that person really get their head around getting back into work and getting getting things kind of you know back into a rhythm not back to normal back into a rhythm that's something that they can sort of work with and then the third stage is effectively everything and every every anything and everything else that you've got in place that's to do with mental health support generally because it is part of that whole um, process of looking after employee well-being which is you know, it is another factor, it's another stressor, it's another consideration as part of people's um, mental health and well-being more generally. Um, and I think if you sort of think about things in those three kind of sort of bundles or buckets, if you like, it can help to just identify what have we got place in place for crisis, what have we got in place for transition, and what have we got in place for mental health and well-being more, more generally. Well, that's super, super helpful. Thank you, Gemma. Okay, so we are going to end in our normal Walk the Talk style. Um, and I'm going to ask you, well, we call them quick fire 
round of five questions, but sometimes they don't end up being quick at all. Um, so let's see how we go. Well, hopefully the first one will be, but one word to describe how you're feeling right now. Oh, uh, focused, I would say. And that's basically because I'm very, very busy at the moment. And so when I get busy, I get laser focused on to make sure that I'm focusing on the right things at the right time. Um, and so that's really just a, a representation of the fact that I've got quite a lot um, in my in my in my workflow at the moment. I've got lots of lots in of your different stress bucket. and in my stress bucket, but it just just practically in terms of my kind of, you know, my clients and all the different sort of areas that I work on, because it isn't just grief and loss, as I mentioned. So I've got a sort of swapping lots of hats um, and getting into kind of different sort of frames of mind. So focus would be would be the word I would choose there. And what are your three daily well-being non-negotiables? So those things that you prioritise day to day to manage stress. Um, two are absolutely non-negotiable, which is um, sleep and exercise. So um, probably no surprises there, but I have over the years learned how incredibly important those are. And certainly exercise has at times in my life completely kind of, you know, taken a little bit more of a back seat, and I've really suffered as a result of that. So I am now very um, strict about making sure that I do include exercise in my routine. Um, and I think the third one actually is awareness. It's a word I've used a lot here, um, but that awareness, which is how am I, how am I feeling? Where are my energy levels? Have I been to the gym? Do I want to go to the gym? And if I do want to go to the gym, what do I want to do there? Do I want to do cardio? Do I want to do strength? Do I just want to go for a walk? But what am I actually kind of in need of? Which is it? Which is that third that, that I think has only really crept into my stress, uh, my well-being kind of you know, you know, checklist if you like, reasonably recently. But I found it really helpful just to sort of go. Do you know what? I don't want to do a, a thirty-minute run today. I don't need cardio today. What I need today is something more restorative or something more strength-based or something more kind of, you know, a, a different type of exercise. I love that. That's sort of being really kind of in tune with yourself and your mood and everything else that's going on and helps yeah. bring a bit of flexibility and diversity into into the mix yeah yeah and it also is quite practical in the sense that I mean last week for example my, my schedule was really really busy as I mentioned um and I I didn't really have the time to go to the gym because it just takes me a bit of time to walk there and walk back and it's just a, a slightly bigger chunk of my day so instead I went for a run mm -hmm. because I said I cannot tell myself I haven't got 30 minutes to do this that's just that just doesn't wash. But my awareness is telling me that it's going to take it's going to really I'm going to feel the effects if I go to the gym because it's just a bigger chunk of my day. Um, and so it, sometimes it can really just help me kind of go, do you know what? I'm going to do that because that's definitely something that I can manage. And so that awareness is, 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 is like that as well. Inspiring. What do you know now that you wish you'd known five years ago? Ooh, what a question. 
Um, I tell you a, a phrase that often comes to mind that I think is possibly in you know, would answer that question well, which is slow down to speed up. It's probably related to my focus energy that I've got at the moment. Um, but this idea that um, I think in the past, I've cranked up activity on activity on activity. And I think more recently, I've learned that productivity and getting stuff done can actually be achieved better by sometimes just slowing down. Um, and so I really like that, that slow down to speed up. I find that really helpful as a sort of a little bit of a mantra and a learn that I've kind of adopted um, in the last five or 10 years. Best bit of leadership advice you ever received? Oh, oh leadership advice. Can I answer that question in a different way and relate it back to grief? Because yeah. the person that, so this was a form, this was a, a manager that I did have. So it is, a, is, it is in some ways leadership related, but it was very much to do with my grief experience. And that was, don't be afraid to experiment. And what she was saying to me was, there is no one way to navigate this bereavement. There's so many different ways that this, this, could, um, this could play out for you. There are different things that you may find helpful or not helpful. So give things a go. And then if they don't work, they don't work, but give things a go. And that was probably the most empowering thing anybody said to me during that, that whole bereavement experience was don't be afraid to experiment. I guess that's applicable in leadership as well, even though it wasn't necessarily leadership advice at the time. Is that okay like as an answer? Brilliant. <laughs> Sounds like she was very influential in a positive way. Um, yes. In terms of your your experience that you've shared with us. Yeah. Okay, final question for you. Book or podcast that we should all read or listen to? Okay. Um, well, in the spirit of the recency effect of, of what you're listening to at the moment. Um, I really like um, the stuff that Viv Groskop does. So she wrote a book called um, How to Own the Room. It was her first kind of book that I came across. She's done a few others, but, um, and she's got this great podcast called How to Own the Room, which is ba based on that. And it's gone to umpteen, umpteen series now, but her most recent book, it was, was released last week, which I haven't read yet, but it's based on one of the themes in that book, which is called Happy High Status. And Happy High Status is this sort of sense of I'm okay, and I'm okay to show up how I am and that's going to get the best out of me and the best out of each other and she because she's quite a well-known journalist and a very successful author um, she basically has these amazing um, uh, guests interview guests on so I've been listening to her happy high status takeover of her existing um, how to own the room podcast so um, you know that was probably one that I would I would flag at the moment because it's, it's very current in terms of what I've been listening to and it feels relevant really to what we've been talking about today well thank you Gemma that does bring us to the end and um, I really appreciate your time and your generous 
um, sharing today it honestly has been kind of super helpful from a personal perspective and I really hope it will be for, for all those that, that get the chance to, to listen to the conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. I appreciate that this is a sensitive topic. So I did want to, to offer point three as a, um, we are mental health first aid trainers as well as instructors. So if you did want to have a conversation with one of us, um, we are at the end of um, the email, which is on the screen now. And if you know of someone who might benefit from listening to this, please do share it on. That brings us to the end of today's Walk the Talk. Thank you for listening.